The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning and welcome back, Tucson, to the Jeff Dean Show here. It is hour number two on today's Monday edition on April the 25th of the Jeff Dean Show. And whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com or via your Alexa-enabled devices, I appreciate you tuning in here to Tucson's only local morning sports talk show to gather the Information, news, entertainment, opinions, certainly was able to deliver on a few of those in the first half of the show, and we'll have some great stuff here in the second half of the show for you as well as we dig into some more local stuff and, of course, some NFL as we talk NFL every single day here on the Jeff Dean Show. That is my promise to you, and we will definitely talk some NFL here today. But I want to talk about things that are happening on the campus uh, over the weekend because what we saw uh, last or uh, the, the last three games, essentially the last three days, three nights, whatever have you, at uh, at High Corbett, was I think a little more indicative of what the reality of Arizona baseball is right now. What what this this season's Arizona baseball is. You had a sprinkling of good pitching. In fact, on uh, yesterday you had great pitching from Garrett Irvin, and he was masterful in his performance yesterday, stifling. I mean, completely stifling the bats of uh, of Arizona State for a while. He gave up the three-run homer in the sixth, uh, but the one bad pitch just kind of, <laughs> you know, one. this happens to starting pitchers all the time, or just regular pitchers all the time. One bad pitch can completely mar a great performance if you just look at the box score. Now, if you watch the game or if you read more about the processes that got them to that point, you realize that Garrett Irvin was – just turning in a great performance. I mean, it was tons of ground balls in that game, allowing his defense to play behind him. And although it has not been the most trustworthy of defenses this season, it was solid yesterday. And he was able to keep the shutout going through five innings and into the sixth. Meanwhile, Arizona's bats had come to life. They were getting timely hitting in the game. They were scoring two here, two there in the innings, built up a 6 nothing lead. Uh, and just continue to, to put on, you know, tack on unanswered runs. Even in a game that Chip Hale was ejected from. He was ejected in the fifth inning of that game because the home plate umpire, Jeffrey Macias, or Macias, whatever, you want to, whatever depending on which side of the Mississippi you're from, uh, says that Chase Davis allowed himself to be hit by a pitch. Now, I don't like this 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 NCAA rule, however, when it was instituted, it was absolutely necessary because there were and I, and I trust me, watching major watching college baseball at this time, it was brutal for like several years leading up to this rule change. Players were just walking into pitches like they would just lean right into them over the plate, lean into them. It was bad, uh, and it was just there were just tons of HBPs. There were base runners all over the place that didn't deserve to be there. I mean, it was it was a mess. So NCAA and college baseball said, we're going to let the umpires determine whether or not the batter made a, 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 a determinable effort to uh, avoid getting hit by the pitch. Here's my problem. If that pitch is in the batter's box, okay, if it's such a horrible pitch 
that it winds up crossing the front line of the batter's box, then that batter don't have to do diddly squat to get out of the way of the ball. Okay? If you had and, and Chip Hale made this, you know, ma- you know, talked about this in, in the in his uh, in his press conference. He said, if a player gets hit in the back, it's like no question. But if a player gets hit in the thigh, it's all of a sudden, oh, he didn't get out of the way of the, of the ball. I mean, we're talking about a, you know a very small, very you know minuscule uh, space of movement there, especially for a baseball traveling at ninety plus miles an hour. It can make up that distance in a very, very, very short amount of time. So to determine that a ball that hits you in the thigh or the hip was egregiously different than a ball that hits you in the middle of the back, <laughs> is it, it, it's silly to me. The fact of the matter is the ball that hit Chase Davis crossed well into his batter's box, and he didn't have to get out of the way of it, in my opinion. I mean, make an effort to not dive into the ball, but if you're if you're in the batter's box and that ball crosses into your space – just protect yourself. Just make sure it doesn't hit you somewhere, uh, you know, somewhere it's going to do damage, a hand or wrist or kneecap or something like that, or certainly in the head, obviously. Um, but you have every right to take that ball off the hip, off the leg, the thigh, whatever, the calf, uh, in the middle of the back, off whatever you need to, um, and take your base. It was a bad pitch, and you deserve to be on first base for having to endure a pitch that poorly. Uh, the home plate umpire called Chase Davis back to home plate saying that he did not avoid the uh, the pitch. This caused an argument and then the argument causes obviously the manager to come out of the come out of the dugout to stick up for his players. Chip Hale did not receive a welcome <laughs> invitation to the to the field apparently to the diamond by home plate umpire Jeffrey Macius and was after about 45 seconds or so of arguing was summarily tossed. Now, I don't believe that that conversation was solely about the was solely about the the uh, the HBP or the, the the lack thereof. I should I should say. And Chip Hale said so after the game. He said I was arguing balls balls and strikes. I needed to be thrown from the game. And I think what happened was is Chip Hale was not arguing the balls and strikes because he thought they were bad calls or whatever. I mean, obviously, you know, you you, you know this. If if you're if you're an athlete, the umpires, the referees are the enemy. Every call they make against you is wrong. <laughs> okay, so yes, his ball and strike calls were terrible, probably in the eyes and mind of Chip Hale. But that wasn't the reason he started arguing them. After about thirty seconds of arguing the hit by pitch rule with home plate umpire Jeffrey Macias, he then turned his attentions to his strike zone <laughs> because Chip Hale wanted to be tossed from that game, in my opinion. And rightfully so. There are plenty of times where a manager will calculatedly take it upon himself to be thrown from a game, to make a spectacle, to show something to his players, or just leave it up to them. And I feel like he picked a comfortable spot to get tossed from the game. They're up 6 nothing. He's like, okay, I can go get tossed in this game now. Something's going to happen. And I'm not going to like it. I'm going to go after this guy because, first of all, this this home plate umpire has a has a uh, a reputation for tossing managers. He tossed two people in a in in the Tennessee game the other night. So, yeah, he he's been known to do it. Um, so Chip Hale goes out there. He's like, hey, that wasn't hit by pitch. Well, he he's supposed to get out of the way. 
how can you determine that? And he's like, well, I determined that he did, and that's the rules. Well, your strike zone sucks, and that should have been a strike. And, and all of a sudden, so then he starts taking after him, and then he's arguing balls and strikes, and then you got to get tossed. So I thought it was a calculated move by Chip Hale, and I thought it was the right move because not only did Arizona go on to win that game, but they continued to pile it on. I mean, they won the game 14-4. to It was 6 nothing at the time, so you do the math. They still outscored Arizona State 8-4 to in the final four innings of that game after Chip Hale got tossed. So it was still a, a moment of motivation for Chip Hale and his team. As if it wasn't enough to lose the way that they lost on Saturday in front of 7,000 people, the biggest crowd of the year uh, at, at High Corbett, with what Chip Hale called unacceptable play on Saturday night in an ugly loss to Arizona State in front of your biggest amount of fans you've had at a game all season. That following the colossal bomb that was hit off the bat of Chase Davis in a walk-off extra-inning win by the Batcats on Friday night at high C. I watched that re- the replay of that, of that home run, I, I, I mean, no fewer than 20 times. <laughs> it was that enjoyable. And, you know, Arizona baseball putting out the stats, Arizona athletics putting out the stats of the, the exit velocity and the launch angle at 441 feet or something like that. I mean, that is an absolute bomb. A bo- Jock Peterson hit a ball yesterday for the Giants. It was like a leadoff home run that was like 442 feet, and it was all Major League Baseball could talk about yesterday. Jock Peterson with this gigantic, gargantuan bomb in the first inning. <laughs> Chase Davis is hit off the roof of the Francona Hitting Center. If, you've, if you haven't been to High Corbett, it's a long way to go. Long way to go from home plate. That was an absolute colossal blast. And if you haven't seen the picture, uh, if you go to uh, Tucson.com, the Daily Star's website, okay, and if you find Michael Lev's story from, uh, from Friday night about Chase Davis's walk-off home run and the lead picture, okay, the picture by Kelly Presnell does a phenomenal job as a photographer at a ton of Arizona Athletics events. There's Chase Davis with his beautiful left-handed swing. You can see him there, and you can, if you look at his face, he, he's almost in disbelief of how hard he just hit that baseball. Like, his eyes are like saucers. His mouth is wide open, and he is watching this thing soar into the night. You can tell that ASU's catcher is ready to get up and walk off the field. He's like, ah, that's, that's out of here. We're done. This game's over. But if you, if you look at the picture, it is a phenomenal pick. Kelly Presnell does such a great job um, capturing these moments. And the, the picture tells everything. The, the, the look on Chase Davis's face is classic. You know, they say a picture is worth a 1,000 words, 100%. Totally applicable in this situation. If you haven't seen the picture, it's a phenomenal picture there. Uh, on, uh, if you go to the website, Tucson.com, if you don't have uh, a, uh, a subscription, you can still click on the story and look at the picture. Um, so Arizona now moves up in the Pac-12 standings. They're now number two in the Pac-12, 28 and 13 overall, sitting behind Oregon State. Oregon State once again having another great season. That's a it's a very good baseball program that they've put together there over the last decade or two. Um, they're 31 and eight on the season, but the Wildcats nipping at their heels, 28 and 13 on the season, 13 and eight in conference, and they have uh, a, a week of non-conference games ahead of them do uh, do the Wildcats. They're going to be heading 
uh, next door to New Mexico State to take on uh, take on New Mexico State on Tuesday night before they return home for a four-game series against the Nevada Wolfpack. That series starts Thursday and will run through Sunday. So a lot of home games for the Cats this weekend, hosting an out-of-conference schedule before they travel to Los Angeles to play at USC. Uh, consequently, USC in dead last in the Pac-12, which is crazy to see because of the history of that program. But they're 5-13. and 13. They just got worked by Utah over the weekend. USC baseball in, in, in trouble right now. They're, they are not good. And things not looking better with Arizona coming to town in, uh, in two weeks. So um, Arizona continuing to do well, continuing to fight for that regional to try to get, to try to host in the, in the College World Series. They climb themselves most likely back up into, uh, into the top 25 with their performance this weekend based on some of the other uh, outcomes that occurred over the, uh, throughout the country. In, uh, in college baseball, so good to see the Batcats back in action. And like I said, I think this weekend was kind of, kind of a dichotomy of what this team is. Friday night, uh, you know, a back and forth, get an emotional win off the bat of your crusher, right, Chase Davis, get an emotional walk-off in front of the home fans. Turn around Saturday night, all the fans in attendance, and you stink up the joint. And I mean stink it. <laughs> like, they couldn't get the bats going. They had 19 ground balls in the game. That's, you know, look, obviously tip of the cap to the opposing pitching staff, um, the worst in the Pac-12. But you, you got to do better than that, 19 ground balls. And they just, I mean, it was, it was again, a comedy of errors in certain posi- you know, certain times of that, of that game. Uh, I can't remember what inning it was in, maybe like the fourth inning or the fifth inning where they – uh, they hit a batter, then they threw a, a, a ball, hit off a runner in the in the inning, and you don't cover first base. And Chip Hale had to come out and scream at his team on the mound, and like, <laughs> okay. And then to come out yesterday and just absolutely beat the brakes off of your opponent in every in every sense of the word. And I mean, they dominated them uh, at the plate. They dominated them in the field. They dominated them on the mound. It was utter and total destruction of your rival yesterday. And that's kind of been the the story of Arizona baseball this year. They get emotional win, they have a deflator, and then they have a, a, an impressive win. The It's just kind of been <laughs> kind of a, you know, you, you spin the tumbler, right? It's like a bingo tumbler. You spin the tumbler, you reach in, you pull out the ball, and see what you get. For Arizona baseball, it's one of three things. One of those three things that I just mentioned. Emotional walk-off win, big home run, big blast to send your team to victory, uh, a dominant performance in every aspect of the game, or some disgusting, putrid stink ball of a performance. <laughs> it's just like, it really, that's kind of where they are right now. However, two of those outcomes are good, right? Two of the three are good outcomes, which is why they are where they are. 28 and 13 on the season, having themselves a nice year. When a lot of, there was, look, there was a lot of woe going on after the, you know the demise of the team at the end of last season. Uh, you've got a, a a manager, head coach interviewing for other jobs while the team is still in the World Series. It's disgusting. I won't even say his name. Um, you know it was it was uh, doom and gloom for a while for Arizona baseball fans. But Chip Hale to the rescue. He's able to secure some of those uh, some of those players that decided not to jump ship and uh, follow their previous coach to their new destination. 
And they've still got talent. They've still got Daniel Susak, who is remarkably good. God, is he I, – I, I, you, you know, you love to see and, – and it happens a lot, okay, um, it, it, at the collegiate level, that you're, you're kind of your team leader is your catcher. And you want to see that. He, he, is, he is the quarterback of the team, essentially. Uh, and Daniel Susak has taken that as a young player – and just been the leader since day one of this team. He has controlled that pitching staff. He does a phenomenal job of relaying the calls. He's not going to be, you know, responsible for calling the entire game. No, I don't, no college catcher is, okay? Uh, but he does a phenomenal job of managing the staff from that position, and obviously what he brings to the, the, to the game with his bat is uh, unprecedented. So um, very lucky to have some of the players that we do have here at Arizona. So get on out there to high C this weekend. Again, that, uh, that series against Nevada, Thursday through Sunday, you got four choices of games to go see um, after they return home from hopefully a win over New Mexico State uh, on, uh, on Tuesday. All right. Also coming up, we will talk about things going on at Arizona basketball. They lose a, uh, an assistant um, as uh, Ryan Anderson takes off for Xavier. He'll be with Sean Miller uh, at Xavier. That I listen. I, I'm not surprised in the least. Not surprised in the least. That's those those two um, work work well together. Ryan Anderson uh, is a is a big fan of Sean Miller, and I know that Sean loves having Ryan around in his work ethic and things like that. So we wish Ryan Anderson well on his uh, next adventure with the Musketeers in the Big East. And I know that he'll bring them all the energy and stuff that he brought to Arizona this season from the uh, from the bench. And still some more things to get into as well with some potential recruits uh, that are lining up for Arizona and some potential members of the transfer portal taking a look at Arizona as well. Still some NFL news to get into. we got the draft coming up on Thursday. Still a lot more to come here on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Stick around right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. So Arizona basketball, Tommy Lloyd and his staff continue working on rounding out the roster team for uh, for this upcoming season. It's a Like I said, it's a never-ending job. There's a reason why Jay Wright got out of it when he was, you know, he's 60 years old, looked 50. Uh, had plenty of exuberance, but he's done. Like he just, it's it's twenty four seven three sixty five. It is a th- ridiculously grueling job. But some of the guys are, you know, built for the obviously the younger guys and stuff. Tommy Lloyd has a huge passion for it, and uh, this being his first time being a head coach, he's got a a long road ahead of him and plenty of energy to put into that. And part of that process is navigating the transfer portal. Now. We haven't gotten a whole lot of names of people who are interested in Arizona. A lot of times it just kind of it happens real quickly and real quietly. There are certain players in the transfer portal, many of the times, I guess. I shouldn't say certain. I should, many of the players will say, uh, you know, they make their transfer announcement, and the next day they're like, I've committed to yada yada school. Now, this hasn't happened for Washington State big man F.A. Abogidi, as Abogidi told John Rothstein, that he has 12 programs on his list. He's, he's down to a final 12 now. So that's good. Uh, the 12 include 
These are some pretty good programs. Kansas State, Houston, Mississippi State, Oklahoma, Maryland, Central Florida, Florida, Wake Forest, Marquette, Texas A&M, Texas, and Arizona. The only Pac-12 school listed on his top 12. Now, Abu Ghidi, if you're not familiar with with FA and and essentially the you know the kind of uh, the kind of season that that he had this year, he's a good player. He's honorable mention for the All Defensive Team. He's a uh, he's a sophomore. He's one of those guys that I saw as a freshman, and I'm like, okay, it's going to take him some time. He's uh, you know he's he's from he's from Africa. Uh, it's going to take him you know some time, like it like it does many of the times with the kids from the you know the smaller uh, you know the, the I guess the, the more impoverished type of countries and places on earth um, that are playing you know he's he's from Nigeria uh, so there are you know there's a, there's a there's a curve there's a steep curve on those types of players but as a sophomore played really well defensively he was a good shot blocker for the Cougs this year shot uh, blocked uh, just about just about two blocks per game one point eight per game. Uh, a good rebounder, six rebounds a game, scored eight points. Not a great scorer, obviously. Uh, had a couple of, of breakout games, um, but he was limited to some action this year because of uh, of a knee injury that he had playing with the Nigerian national team. So um, interesting you know, concept to, to think about there. He'd obviously be coming off the bench for Arizona, so it wouldn't be a situation where he's starting, which may be a, a reason why he's looking at places like K-State, uh, Central Florida, Wake Forest, places where he can probably Mississippi State, places where he can go and probably be a starter. Uh, I would imagine <clears throat> for for you know for those teams. Other teams, places like Houston, uh, probably Texas, um, Oklahoma. He would probably not be a starter. He'd probably be a bench player, much like he would be here at Arizona. But as you know, Tommy Lloyd's rotations, the the, the, the backups get minutes, and without Christian Coloco, uh, you know he would be backing up. Umar Balo and Azulis Tubelis and that uh, on that front line. So there would be a lot of uh, I think there'd be a lot of minutes for a guy like Effie Abogidi. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that um, as well as Bruce Pascoe reported over the weekend that Arizona is drawing interest from a five-star forward from Canada by the name of Leonard Miller. Now Leonard Miller was basically kind of I guess I guess penciled in or considered to be a guy who was going to be heading to either the, the league, enter the NBA draft, get an agent, and then go to the NBA draft because he he is a you know he's got a, a lot of great skills and, and you know NBA skills. He's six nine. He's got length. He's got seven foot length from a you know from a guy who's six nine. He can dribble. He can shoot. Like he's you know he's the whole package. Um, and they they felt they felt like he could get drafted in the draft, and if he didn't, that he would go to the G League. Well, he started visiting campuses. He visited Kentucky last week, and over the weekend, he was at Arizona. So, interesting little situation going on there with a guy who was all but expected to either go to the NBA and or the G League and is now turning turning his interest to some of the programs in college, uh, maybe some of the programs that excite him. Uh, you know, obviously – Kentucky and Arizona, two of the best fan bases in the entire country when it comes to college basketball. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to see there. So Leonard Miller, a, a five-star forward, five-star wing player, who is is you know officially you know interested in Arizona. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, of course, if we get any kind of news on 
any kind of things like that that happen during the show, we will keep you abreast of all that information. Of course, you guys are smart. You guys know who to follow on Twitter. You guys know where to get go to get your information throughout the day. Any information I give you will just be repeating what the insiders and the experts are are already you know telling us out there. So um, you know because I just don't have the access that they have right now, and um, they do a great job. Uh, you know, the insiders there for Arizona, they are spot on. Most of the time, and it's they do a great job there. And again, you know who to follow. You know who to to uh, to get after when you need your news. We need your your scoop. We need the juice. They got you covered. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we will turn our focus to the NFL. Debo rumors are running rampant. What is happening with the uh, with the uh, with the NFL draft? What is you know what are they saying? This is this is one of the more Surprising NFL drafts, I think, of the uh, of this particular, uh, you know, I guess, not knowing who's going to go where. We don't have a clear-cut number one quarterback. We don't have a clear-cut number one pick overall. Could be very, very interesting. I mentioned who my linchpins were in the, in last week's shows, talking about teams that could potentially start the deluge of a certain type of positional pick in this NFL draft, and we'll have some more news and notes on that for you as well. Come on back here. It's the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. ESPN Tucson, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. We're going to talk some NFL, as I do here every single day. That is my promise to you. Certainly plenty of stuff to talk about. As the Debo Samuel rumors are running rampant, I'm going to give you my own opinion. Like my own, I shouldn't say opinion. My opinions have been well known about this. I'm going to give you my prediction about what's going to happen with Debo Samuel. I think Debo Samuel will continue to be a 49er this season. 2022 season, I think, will come and go without a Debo Samuel trade. I think the 49ers are going to do extremely well this season with Debo Samuel. Holding out is no longer an option. Players just don't do it anymore. It's not it's – a, it's a thing of the past. Holding out just doesn't get done. You have to be on the field because once you hold out, you lose value. And it has been proven time and time and time again – in the NFL, specifically over the last decade or so. I mean, we haven't really had many holdouts other than uh, um, Le'Veon Bell, right? I mean, he's like the, the last player that I can think of, you know, impact player, essentially, uh, that has that is held out. How did that do? How did that go for Le'Veon Bell? Not so well. And it's been proven time and time again that holding out does not do well for the players. It, it, used, it used to serve a purpose. I mean, hell, Jerry Rice held out for the 49ers, 1992, Jerry Rice was, you know, wanting more money. The 49ers were like, you still got two years left in your contract. We're not going to rework the contract, even though you are the greatest wide receiver, possibly the greatest football player of all time. We're not going to do your, we're not going to redo your contract. He held out for, uh, it was like 38 days or something like that. He held out for. Eventually, he showed up to work. He got his contract and went on to do everything that Jerry Rice has done in his career. Obviously, holding out is not an option anymore. It doesn't happen. Players need to be on the field to prove that they're worth what they're preaching. And for Debo Samuel, he can continue to be disgruntled about whatever it is. He, I mean, his brother, Taekwon, went on Facebook and was like, 
you know, we're out of here. You know, we're we're not we're 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 leaving the 49ers. We don't want to be in California no more." And Debo Samuel gave an interview interview over a year ago. Uh, somebody had just you know casually asked him, "How do you like being in California?" He says, "I hate it." <laughs> like he does not like being in California, even though in a tweet that he uh, uh, there was a tweet that he retweeted and quoted on um, last week basically laughing at the notion that he didn't want to live in the state of California anymore, and that's why he's asking for a trade. He was like, oh, this guy don't even know me. Actually, uh, if we take the cues from what came out of your own mouth a year and a half ago and from what your brother posted on Facebook, you don't like living in California. So that might be, uh, you know, the, that might be the biggest part of it all, that he just misses home. He, he wants to be back home. Okay, well, do you want to go play for the Carolina Panthers? get the ball thrown to you by Sam Darnold? Good luck. So my prediction is that Debo Samuel will be a 49er for the 2022 season, and then the 49ers will tag him. (laughs) They'll just be like, you know what? We're not letting you go so quickly. We're going to use you for as long as we can. We're going to milk this cow as long as we can. He's 26 years old. Uh, By the time he finishes this season and when the 49ers ta- if and when the 49ers tag him, which I think they will do, they will franchise tag him for the 2023 season, paying him the average of the top five paid wide receivers in the league, which is n- no slouch of where to be now, right? Based on the 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 the, the deals that Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams and Christian Kirk have gotten, and who knows what AJ Brown and DK Metcalf are going to get? Deontay Johnson's going to sign a deal, I guarantee you, with the Steelers. They love him. Terry McLaurin's going to sign a deal. Like, the numbers are going up. So to be the average of the top five play, paid players a wide receiver is going to be no slouch when the franchise tag comes to Debo Samuel at the end of the 2022 season. And then that will most likely be it for him as a 49er, but he'll also be getting close to 29 years old. Who knows what kind of injuries are in his future? And I'm not saying I wish anything upon him. I certainly don't. If he's going to be playing for the 49ers, I want him to play all 17 games and more. I don't wish injury on anyone for that matter. Let's make that perfectly clear. Uh, but, you know, at, at the at the age of, you know, t- almost 29 going on ancient in the NFL at the wide receiver position, not a great place to be if you're Debo Samuel. So, um, you know, his best, his, his best bet would be to stay with the 49ers where they will continue to use him the way that they have, make him worth as much as they possibly can because, you know, if he shows up and he balls out like he, like he has been over the last two seasons – his numbers will continue to go up, and his worth, will, his value will continue to go up. And again, yes, the 49ers will franchise him. But at the end of that franchise season, he'll have an opportunity to sign a deal. Maybe he gets a three- or a four-year deal for who knows what the money's going to be like then, $120 million for something like that at that point. Who knows? Anyway, uh, and he'll be able to get that final contract, and people will be like, oh, I can't be whatever team signs. Him, they're going to Debo Samuel, worthless Debo Samuel, 31 years old, can't even get on the field. We're paying him $35 million this year, and he'll be the talk of the NFL. Like He's a $27 million dead cap hit to this team. But you know what? He's going to get paid, and he earned it, and that's the way it goes. So uh, you don't play offensive line where even though you are involved in violent collisions 70 times a game, you continue to play every down and play for 18 seasons. You're not playing the quarterback position where you're protected by the rules and by the officials to where you can stand back there as a statue for 17 years and continue to play at a high level. Just, just not, that's not the position of wide receiver, running back, linebacker. That's not how those work. So um, 
you make your money when you can. And I don't think that there's – I don't think the 49ers are in love with anybody in the in the draft enough to trade him in the, to, to the first round of this draft. Like like I said last week, the Jets would probably love to bring in Debo Samuel. It would cost them the number four overall pick because the 49ers are going to put a, be, a greater value on Debo Samuel than the 10th overall pick. I'm sorry. And I know that there's a bunch of draft nerds out there that are like, well, those numbers don't compute. He's, his worth is uh, right around the 11th or 12th pick of the NFL draft and not the 10th. And to go to 4th would be agreed. Tell you what, you go to that, uh, go to the, into that war room of the, of the New York Jets on draft day, and when they're sitting there looking at, okay, do we reach to draft Garrett Wilson at wide receiver, who I think is the best receiver in this draft class, would have been a second-round pick in the 2019 and the 2020 drafts at wide receiver, by the way. Um, do, we, do, we, do we reach for Garrett Wilson that we need to really need a wide receiver at four? Do we take you know, whatever corner is best available, whether we, you know, whether we have a high grade on Sauce Gardner or whether we have a high grade on Derek Stingley? I heard this morning that Marcus Spears, as homerish as he is for LSU football, he thinks that Derek Stingley is going to be taken number one overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars which is very possible because we don't know who the number one pick is in this draft. We all think it's Aiden Hutchinson, but there are certain GMs out there that don't like his upside, don't think he has, uh, you know, pro bowl potential in this league. The fact that he got worked by Alabama in the, in the, in the playoff game is telling them everything they need to know about Aiden Hutchinson. It's, it, that's fine. You evaluate your team, evaluate players however you want to. I don't think it's the case. I'd, I'd love to bring in a guy like Aiden Hutchinson just for the fact of, having his motor and having his his personality and his culture and his work ethic around my team, it's infectious. Those kinds of things are, are infectious for people. So I would be happy to bring a guy like that in. Anyway, I digress. If you're the New York in the war room, you say, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to reach for Garrett Wilson, we're going to take whatever cornerback, or if Debo Samuel were a draftable player, there wouldn't even be a discussion. You wouldn't even be discussing it. You'd be like, oh, Debo Samuel's available. He led the NFL in yak yards last year. Yards, uh, yards from scrimmage after catching the ball. And all these other, he was 65th in the NFL in target yards, but first in the NFL in, in uh, yards after catch. The single most important statistic for a receiver outside of catching the ball. Your, 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 you know, your drop rate, essentially. Yeah, we'll take him. Instead of reaching for a, a rookie wide receiver who played in a wide-open offense in the Big Ten. There's still schools out there that don't know how to defend the pass. Or to reach on a, on a corner who, yes, had an impeccable record while he was at Cincinnati playing in college. Or to take a, a guy at LSU who's been a starter since he was a freshman in a, in a, a, a very, very well-known secondary, in a very well-known defense at a, at a big, high-profile school in the SEC. Who? has a lot of question marks about him coming into this draft. You would absolutely take Debo Samuel with the number four overall pick. So the 49ers are not just going to be like, okay, I'll give us a 10th-round pick. They're, they're, they're asking, they should be asking for four. They should be asking for four. All these people are like, oh, 10th-round pick, that's, that's, that's the trade. <laughs> Nuts to that, man. He's one of the most valuable free agents. Not a free, not a free agent, I mean, but he's one of the most valuable players right now available to other teams. And he is available. He's made it very well known that he's available. 
you look at that draft. Look at that wide receiver draft class from 2019, and I don't mean the first rounders because the first rounders were the likes of Nikhil Harry, uh, uh, Hollywood Brown. I think was taken in the first round of that draft. And like Marquise Brown is a is a good player. He's not uh, he's not on the level that I think. Yeah, he was taken number 25 overall in that draft. You look at the dudes that were taken later in that draft, like second, third, fourth rounds. <laughs> wow, I mean, really. Because you got A.J. Brown was taken number 51 overall, right? Terry McLaurin was taken in the third out of Ohio State. D.K. Metcalf taken with the number 64 overall pick. Deontay Johnson taken with the number 66 overall pick. You had Debo at early in the second round. We knew Debo was going to be a good player. The 49ers evaluated him as a, as a first-round talent and drafted him with the second-round pick. In fact, they traded up to get him. Uh, also, later in that draft, you had the likes of um, Hunter Renfro taken with the number 149th overall pick. He about to get paid. Mecole Hardman is now the feature receiver in Kansas City. He was taken with the number 56 overall pick. Those are the guys that weren't taken in the first round. So I'm sure there are teams looking at that going, you know, where's our Terry McLaurin <laughs> in the third round? Who's going to be our Hunter Renfro that we draft late in the draft that is going to show up on game day and show up every day for practice and make a difference on this team. Because every team looking at that going, yeah, we don't have to do it with our first-round picks. We can, we can, do, we can go other places with, with our first-round picks. And maybe they do. But I still think that this, this particular draft, I think we'll see seven players, seven receivers drafted in the first round. Because it's going to be – there's going to – somebody's going to start the deluge. It's either going to be the Detroit Lions or it's going to be the Green Bay Packers. I think the Green Bay Packers are going to find a way to move up to try to compete with the Atlanta Falcons for that number eight pick for the number one receiver in this draft, whomever they deem that to be. I think it's Garrett Wilson. Some people think it's Drake London. I like Drake London. I think he's got great game. I don't know if Drake London fits specifically in the Green in the Green Bay offense. Green Bay requires you get off the line quick so that Aaron Rodgers can get you the ball quickly. They it is a it, it's not a you know stand back and wait for three and a half seconds for guys to long you know route uh, progressions to develop and yada yada yada. It is go quick and Drake London is not get off the line of scrimmage quick guy. He is a guy that needs to. Work the defense. He needs to situate himself in zones. He needs to uh, use his physicality to establish position, whether it be at the goal line or you know somewhere you know somewhere in the in the field of play where he can then catch a ball and make a difference. <laughs> so uh, I I don't know if Drake London is that guy, and, and I I think the the potential for him to be JJ Arcega Whiteside is is always there, and you know I think we all know about. You know, what happened with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, highly touted out of Stanford, and then just was couldn't even get on the field in the NFL. Now, the playoffs are here, NBA, and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook. The Suns may be facing a Game 7 with the New Orleans Pelicans here coming up uh, real soon, which was unexpected. But FanDuel Sportsbook is an official betting partner of the NBA, and throughout the playoffs, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every week. Now, your no-sweat SGP is where you essentially opt in in that particular promotion. You find the promo on your on your FanDuel Sportsbook app. You opt in, and then you place an SGP bet, a same game parlay bet. You can choose, uh, you know, one game to do, you know, where you build essentially, you know, players to have to reach certain benchmarks and props, or you can do multiple games, which is fine as well. But if you lose, 
FanDuel is going to compensate you with up to $20 in free bets. It's great. I, I mean, to take advantage, if you haven't had this yet, I mean, maybe you haven't, maybe because you've won your parlays, which is also awesome. Uh, but if you lose, you get to play with house money, which is a hell of a lot more fun than playing with your own. FanDuel, of course, has many ways for you to customize your parlays your way. And best of all, when you do win, you're going to get paid faster than an inbounds alley-oop to DeAndre Ayton. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's cool. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, sign up with my promo code DEAN, that's D-E-A-N, to enjoy access to even more great promotions like this one. But that's with my promo code DEAN, so that they know that I sent you specifically on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So lace them up this NBA postseason, get up to $20 in free bets if your same-game parlay doesn't win with FanDuel Sportsbook, the official betting partner of the NBA. 21 and over in present in Arizona, refund issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet is $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full term to sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342. When I return, I put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of Jeff Dean Show. You're listening here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson invites you to the Great Centurions Carnival. April 30th, that's this Saturday at Kino Sports Complex. The annual Centurion event is featuring The Trip on the Desert Diamond Casino stage. It's an evening of food, fun, and music, all while supporting our local charities. As the proceeds for this year's Great Centurions Carnival benefit TMC for Children, Literacy Connects, and Parent Aid. You can get your tickets and sponsorships online at ESPNTucson.com and uh, enjoy the, uh, the beautiful weekend in Tucson this Saturday at the Centurions Carnival. Also, the uh, NFL Live broadcast with Spears and Ali going to be going on this Thursday from 3 to 6 at the Fire Truck Brewing Company right there at the southeast corner of Grant and Swan. Be sure you go say hi to the boys and uh, let them know who your team should be drafting on that draft day. Or maybe you don't have a pick. There are several teams without picks on this uh, on this Thursday, of course, the uh, the first day of the, of the NFL draft. So uh, let them know. Go in there and hang out and enjoy all the great things that are going on at Firetruck Brewing Company this Thursday. Tomorrow, on tomorrow's show, I'm going to start talking about who the, like, the best number one picks of all time by position. So, like, who is the best number one offensive lineman? Who's the best number one quarterback to be taken? Who's the wide receiver? It's an interesting list because you, you sit there and you say to yourself, my God, you know, how was the best player of all time at that position – not a number one pick. I mean, you just go right to straight to Jerry Rice, the wide receiver position, not anywhere near the number one pick of all time. Tom Brady was picked in the sixth round and is generally considered to be the greatest quarterback of all time, and I wouldn't argue with that either. It's interesting because, you know, it's it just goes to show you that people mature at different levels and at different times in their life, and certain things motivate them differently when they turn a different age, or... Honestly, sometimes it's just the fact that you're drafting a a you know a high a highly talented individual who played at the highest level at college and stuff, and they just went to a bad team and an organization that is drafting high you know number one number two number three year in and year out, probably an indication of the way that that team is run because 
you know, owners don't come and go. They don't, they don't free flow in and out. GMs, coaches, players all do. Those are all fluid, you know, door wide open, you know, people moving in and out all the time. Owners do not. Owners stay. And a lot of times, as you say, it starts at the top and it just rolls downhill. And I think that's been the case in a lot of these situations where players were taken number one overall, went to a bad situation, and never recovered. Now, I say that because Baker Mayfield, of course, former number one pick, went to the Cleveland Browns, an organization who's never been to the Super Bowl. And it's an organization that many people believe is just a sour one. How will that affect his career moving forward? So we'll have a whole lot of stuff on that for you tomorrow. All right, that is going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mike Tontis, our winner of the Chris Rock tickets. We'll have more to give away tomorrow. Be ready for that. Also, Spears and Ali will have some to give away this afternoon as well. And, of course, thanks to Mary back in studio for pushing all the right buttons and keeping us on the air here of the Jeff Dean Show. And thanks to you guys for tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show. And I will see you guys again tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., right here for another edition of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.